0: This is TTELT, Teaching Tips for English Language Teachers. I'm Dr. Gina Rhodes. Let's get started. This week on TTELT, we're talking to Amy Chastain again, and this week we're focusing on intercultural communication. If you'll remember, Amy and I met at Shanto University when we were both teaching there, and now she's at the University of Iowa, and we learned a lot about Amy and about Story Stitch last time. But this week, we're going to talk more about how to teach your students more about intercultural communication and um, more from and learn more from Amy. Let's get started. So what got you interested in intercultural communication?
1: I told you I was born this way. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but more specifically, as really my main core focus, I mean, it started even in grad school. <clears throat> I mean, even the courses that I chose there and my favorite courses had um, to do with intercultural, um, you know, teaching and learning and that kind of thing. Um, but when I was living in southern China, um, as you know, mm-hmm. I um, was working with Don Snow who was one of the original founding members of the intercultural communication intersection in Cell International. Um, and he was also trying to work very hard at that time to kind of make us and our institution there kind of a, a hub within China and within, within that region for intercultural teaching and learning um, and kind of experts in intercultural communication. Um, and he really encouraged me at the time when the newsletter editor position opened with the ICIS um, to go for it, and I did, and I've been, um, you know, in leadership with that intersection ever since. Um, even though, you know, prior to that, the the typical kind of path was you moved through leadership and especially through chair positions, and then you kind of disappeared and you weren't that involved anymore. But I've changed that dramatically. And now we have have a, a longstanding core group um, that continues to grow and expand and attract new people and new leaders and that kind of good stuff. So
0: and, and what's um, your I, position- I've always been
1: interested in the intercultural yeah. piece and that's really what drove me to languages and language teaching from the beginning.
0: And what's your current role in the intercultural interest group?
1: I am currently the co-chair um, serving again because of COVID, um, and things kind of being disrupted with Denver, um, being canceled, um, and, you know, just disruptions and just people's lives in general. Um, I stepped up this year to co-chair with our other most recent past chair, um, just to kind of get us through this year. Um, so that's what I'm doing.
0: Okay, great. And why do you think that intercultural communication is important?
1: Uh, Well, ultimately, it's the purpose of language, right? Like, if we didn't have to communicate interculturally, we wouldn't need another language. (laughs) Um, And so, particularly for those learning second and additional languages, I mean, that's kind of the key. Um, You know, I go back even to um, I reference a study a lot with my classes and with my students, both my language students and my intercultural communication students. Um, there was a study and the, I, uh, I can't, I think it's Sealy, but I'm not totally positive on the reference, um, <clears throat> but it's cited by Don Snow in some of his work, um, a study that looked at American students going to study in Colombia. And it discovered that those that went with a higher language proficiency um, from, you know, their classroom learning um, had more instances of miscommunication and misunderstanding than those who went with a lower language um, proficiency. And, you know, I still remember the first time I saw that study cited, and I thought that there was like a typo or it was a mistake, because just intuitively that's not what we would expect to be the case we'd say well they had more language of course they could be under they could be better understood but it was you know they were skipping that step of you know having to to slow down and and really think about you know what's being said think about their reactions their responses in a cultural context Um, and so I especially like to use that in my language classes to encourage those who maybe are feeling like they don't have the best language or they're, you know, it's not as good or whatever to say, look like you, there's an opportunity here, you know, because you can develop that awareness now before you, you know, cause those misunderstandings. Um, and so I think that's really key. Excellent.
0: And what are some ways that, that you as a teacher bring intercultural communication into the classroom? What are some strategies you use?
1: I think one of the most important strategies that any teacher can use um, is thinking about all of the resources they bring into the classroom, all the materials, the texts, um, those kinds of things. You know, anything that goes beyond their own teacher voice and presence (laughs) that, you know, they're supplementing, whether it's with audio recordings, whether it's with readings, whether it's, you know, with short TV shows or interviews or any kind of video, um, music, whatever it is, um, you know, to really be very conscious about the, the author and the originator of all those texts and, you know, and thinking about what, what, what am I modeling with the text that I'm choosing? Um, you know, what cultural, um, kind of norms and, and perspectives am I, am I modeling or presenting as, as samples and standards? Um, and so if you aren't diversifying those and aren't offering kind of a wider variety, you know, then you may be doing a huge disservice um, by, you know, and, and maybe not intentionally by setting this standard that maybe is not realistic or achievable um, for your students. Um, you know, find examples of People, you know, who look and sound like them that are proficient users of the language, you know, that are in a video that are, you know, serving whatever purpose. It could be anything. It could be, you know, a recorded telephone call. (laughs) You know, it can be really anything. Um, Even if you have to seek it out with, you know, from people around you that you know are are comfortable and proficient in the language. Um, I think that's one of the biggest ways to incorporate it but also strategically, um, you know, like I was just talking about in the reference about that study in Colombia, is, you know, teaching them to to recognize and to enter communication in a different way than they would, you know, with their their L1C1, you know, first culture, first language uh, group of friends or their family members. You know, you don't have to think about what people mean and And, you know, the words that they're choosing when you're with those people, you know, but when you're talking about a separation of language or culture um, or proficiency or, you know, whatever, you have to be more intentional. And so, you know, teaching those strategies of slowing down and thinking about the possibilities, you know, thinking, well, maybe this person wasn't intentionally being rude. Maybe it was just the limitation of their vocabulary, you know, they're choosing vocabulary that they know that, you know, if, if my best friend used it, they would be being rude. But I know this person's not trying to be rude to me. You know, they're just using the words they know to get their meaning across or, you know, as a very transactional or functional kind of thing. Um, you know, and even, even that, thinking about the purpose of the language that is being spoken at the moment, you know, is it something transactional? Are you just trying to Get A to B, or you know, um, you know that language is different than you know having some heartfelt, emotional, you know, conversation. You need different language, and and you can interpret things differently. Um, you know, so all of those are reasons for um, teaching and being intentional about incorporating intercultural communication. Um, you know, and it doesn't have to be that you know. All these real life examples are at your disposal, and you can, like, say, Hey, come into my classroom, or Hey, come talk to this person. Um, you know, we can use all the resources that, that are available from, you know, things on the internet to, I mean, literally something that you might have just saved sometime that you got in the mail, or like, I mean, it could really be anything that has text, whether written or, um, or audio files of any kind. You know, and you can plan conversations over Zoom if you have the technology, you know, available. You know, I've seen people just reach out even on like the TESOL boards, you know, on the on the listserv saying, I want my students to be able to talk to some people somewhere else. Is anybody interested? Um, you know, using people to connect to other people I think is really important. Okay. Can you give us an example of,
0: some, of something you've done where you you've done this in your classroom?
1: Um, so I've done it in, in, in multitude of ways. Um, and so, so back when I was, um, living and teaching in China, for example, um, I, what? I just said S-T-U, yay! (laughs) Um, I felt like it was really important, um, because of what I saw as kind of the, the prevailing attitude toward language and English and, you know, who are the keepers of the language and that kind of thing. Um, I said, you know, I really want my students to be exposed to more than just, um, you know, the inner circle or the outer circle as Kachou, um calls it. But I said, you know, because we know from, from just research and life and facts that most people who are learning English are learning it to actually engage with other people who have also learned English as a second or additional language. Most of them are not gonna be using it to talk to people who were born speaking the language. Um, and so, of course, it's important then for them to be exposed to all those different varieties and you know, accents and dialects and vocabularies and those kinds of things. So, so very similar to what I just said, I, I did a call on um, T-cells boards and on IALEC and said, hey, I want want to expose my students to many varieties of English. Um, Who's interested basically? (laughs) Who wants to do it? Who wants to talk to my students? And I recruited about 30 um, English teachers from all over the world, none of which identified as inner or immediate like outer circle English speakers. But all from the expanding circles. Um, and I paired them with my students. Um, the classes that I couldn't pair, um, you know, we, we still found ways to expose them to, you know, to other things, um, you know, using other materials and that kind of stuff. But this particular class um, had, at that time, we were using Skype. And so they had Skype interviews. Um, two or three, I can't remember it, um, off the top of my head, with their partners, um, and then they later did like presentations about, you know, all the things that they learned talking to the partner, um, and we even talked about, you know, whether or not they would, would feel comfortable like learning English from them, and, you know, which skills would they feel comfortable learning English, you know, from, from these different speakers of English, and it was a really rewarding experience um, for me and for the students. Um, more recently, now I teach, again, I incorporated in language classes, but I also teach classes that are specific to intercultural communication and engagement. Um, and so I have them seeking out, and this is going to vary depending where you are, um, but I think you can do it to a certain extent in most places, because, you know, culture is not just about, you know, geopolitical, nation state kind of cultures right Um, in many of the places where we all live and work there are different cultural identities and groups all around us and so um, I've required students to seek out activities or events um, that are sponsored by hosted by targeted toward groups of which they don't identify personally and go to it and say, like, just go and see what it's like, you know, try to have some conversations, you know, introduce yourself to some people, um, and that's been really cool. Can you give us um, an example of a group that a student went to? Yeah, I had this one um, student who was native to Iowa, um, a male student from rural, rural Iowa, um, who he... And, and he, he tried, he, he had to go to an event, right? Because he was required to, and they had to go to two in this very limited time. And he tried and tried to get some friends to go along with him, and nobody wanted to go. And he ch- ended up choosing this fundraiser. Um, and it was a fundraiser for, I believe, Syrian families at the time. Um, and it was hosted by. I'm not sure if it was specifically a Syrian group or if it might have just been like our um, Muslim Student Association. Um, but they were having this big fundraiser, and it was like it was like black tie kind of thing. And he shows up, you know, not knowing anyone, all by himself, because none of his friends would come with him. And he said, and he, and he got to the door, and he told me all this story. It was, I. I I was like, "You're this. This exactly is why I teach this class. Like for these things to happen," that he got to the to the door, and he saw all these families, (laughs) like, you know, like parents and children and all this running around, and so he's feeling even more out of place than he even was when he arrived. And he's like, he just starts scanning the room, like looking for like, where can I even sit? You know, there's in his tables, it's like a dinner and, and entertainment, all this kind of stuff to raise money for, for Syrian refugees at the time. And he said he starts looking around, looking around, and he notices a table of mostly young men. Um, and so he was like, well, I'm, I'm just going to go over there. And like, like that, he felt like that was his best shot. Right. (laughs) So he went up and, you know, and asked if he could sit at their table, um, not knowing that they were the entertainment for the night. They were, they were a dubka dance group. Um, and so he had like this great time and he said, everyone was so gracious and welcoming of him and he just loved it. And, you know, it was one of those things like, I never ever would have experienced anything like this had you not made us go to an event. Um, you know, and, and you know, some aren't, aren't as dramatic, but I've had people even go to, like on our campus, we have multicultural houses. Um, so like we have an um, African-American um, house and we have a LGBTQ house um, and a, like a Pan-Asian house. And I've had students even go to those houses and just, like, go to the door and walk in and, and be welcomed and, you know, engage in conversations. And they'll say, like, I didn't even know that I was, like, that I could go to those houses since I'm not X or Y, you know? <laughs> and when you say
0: houses, are you talking, like, sororities and fraternity houses? Or no, are they're,
1: just, they're just physical houses oh, as okay. a location, like a safe space for... People who identify and have that in common, Mm. um, those identities in common. And so, so I just had, you know, again, some like rural Iowa students go to the, like the African-American house and they were like, it was so cool, you know, and like some other students go to the LGBTQ house and like talk about how welcoming people were and how open they were to them visiting the house. Um, And I think those things are really, really cool to to watch happen.
0: I, I can imagine, yeah.
1: Um, a couple of things that I wanted to
0: check on before we go f- further, you were talking about pairing the teachers. So you, just to clarify, you had each of your students paired with one English teacher from a, not... Um, from a first language. A yeah. Yeah, <laughs> and so can you give me like an example of one pairing? Like what were the
1: cultures of the two people? Oh, my gosh. I mean, they were from all over. Um, We had some, like, I want to say, even had one, like, from, like, Bahrain or somewhere. And Mm -hmm. we had some from Russia. We had some um, from the Philippines, I think. We had, I mean, like, there were so many places that, like, I can't possibly remember now. Mm -hmm. Um, But it was so, it was just so cool for them to be exposed to places that they had never been exposed to before and people and culture and um, I'll have to dig out my old list like now you have me like thinking where were all those places
0: (laughs) and so so say like you've got a teacher from Bahrain and your students are from uh majority of your students are from China and you said you've also got some Colombian yeah well
1: this was this was when I was in China so they were all Chinese students.
0: oh okay so you were had like teachers from around the world who were working with your Chinese students mm-hmm. I was thinking this was when you were in Iowa
1: okay no, they, and they just had like two or three Skype interviews together like mm-hmm. and that I mean that's what they that's what they did to be you know kind of exposed to each other and then my students you know would do some more kind of research and stuff on on where these people were and that kind of stuff. Right. Um, yeah, now and I've also like paired classrooms, you know, like between China and Georgia, for example. Um, I partnered with a, a professor at a, at a college in Georgia um, for a few years actually, um, where we would pair my students with her business students. Um, and that was really interesting and cool because they would ask like, you know, questions that were specific to you know them thinking about like business perspectives going internationally um but I have also even I when I was in China I would have Christmas morning as you know we weren't off (laughs) you know it wasn't a holiday and so every Christmas morning I would have my my classes Skype with people back in America who were celebrating Christmas Eve at the same time as it was Christmas morning in China. And that was so cool. You know, so that was our class. And, you know, I think some of it sometimes is just kind of us being able to disconnect what we see as a class activity or what, you know, because we can turn anything into a learning activity. Um, You know, I mean, and, and even, I mean, whether, whether or not you add any sort of structured assignment to it or not, I mean, you're using the language and that's, you know, kind of the point, right, that, um, and so it was really, really, really cool. Exactly. Okay, so let's look more
0: about how, when you have an intercultural course, how is it that you teach values understanding in intercultural?
1: Um, So there are some sources that I use that start to touch on values. Um, Young Young Kim has an article that I use um, as kind of a foundational article in my intercultural class. And um, the article itself is called Finding a Home Beyond Culture. Um, And in that, she introduces the students um, to the idea of interculturality and how and how, like I was even saying earlier, that we're all, you know, we all ha- are influenced by, you know, everybody we come into contact with and certainly other cultures that we that we have contact with. You know, we, we can't be unchanged, you know, by those interactions. And so this idea of interculturality is new though for many of our students, um, you know, to think of themselves as being something different than they were kind of born, um, you know, and, and so this idea is introduced in that, and, um, you know, it talks about, you know, this idea that, you know, we have to kind of get uncomfortable sometimes, we're going to have those moments of, you know, while we're in the process of kind of changing, or adapting, or growing, you know, there's going to be some discomfort, there's going to be some some things that are kind of broken down that maybe we didn't expect, or, you know, while we're rebuilding some new idea or new identity. And so later from that, um, I'll take students through a values activity. This just, you know, has, is a list of values. And, you know, you could find one or you could create your own, right? We all have, know these kind of words that, you know, are, are values that are important to just humankind in general, right? Um to some degree. Can you give me some examples of some some of the um, words. Like friendship, success, love, family, wealth, health, mental health, you know, I mean so many um different things. Right. But I have the students take this this list that's pretty substantial and they first identify like the ten that are most important to them. Then they have to like kind of bring that down to the top three. And, and so I give them a little time to do that individually and then put them in small groups or pairs to talk about what they chose with each other. Um, you know, and this can work whether or not your class is that diverse. I'm fortunate in my intercultural classes um, to, for the most part when I've offered these classes, I have had an unusually diverse class, um, particularly for my context. Um, You know, there's not a lot of overall, there's not a huge amount of diversity in my university in Iowa. But this class generally attracts a really diverse group of students, which is really cool. Um, You know, and when you get people to start talking about the values that are important to them, and especially if they're paired with people who maybe they didn't see as directly the same as them. And again, even in, in more monocultural contexts, you know, you can, you can find those, those variations and differences of background and those kinds of things in your class, right? Um, And so we, it, that starts the conversation of, of, well, why are we even talking about this? Um, You know, and talking about how so much of our actions and certainly our reactions and our motivations are all rooted in these values. And if they are for us, then that means they are for you and for him and for her and for them. And, you know, and and that goes back again, kind of addressing that, let's slow down, let's take a step back and process things in a different way. Because so if we start thinking of everyone's actions and reactions being rooted in some of these values that we share to some le- at some level, you know, whether or not they ranked as our most important, you know, we still see. And, and they, and the conversation also happens in the class where they'll say, well, I picked family and you picked love, but we really picked these for like essentially kind of the same ultimate reasons and those kinds of things. And, you know, and so that, that's all getting distilled down. And then they start to say, well, okay, I can see how these people that I see is very different from me are still acting and being motivated by these same values at their core.
0: That sounds like a very powerful um, thing to bring into the classroom. And like you said, you can do it in any classroom, even if your students are all from the same culture, there's still Mm -hmm. a variety
1: of values within it. And there's a variety of vocabulary that you're introducing Mm language-wise. Okay, well, do you have any
0: specific tips for teachers who are teaching um, in a in a country where their students all have the same first language, how would you, what would you encourage them to do for to um, have more intercultural communication throughout their course?
1: Um, like I said in the beginning, certainly in text selection um, and certainly in, you know, audio selection, you know, trying to find diverse representations of, of people using the language as models. Um, One of the things that that I also do, particularly in my language class, is I bring in spoken word poetry. Um, And you can find many examples of that with different dialects, different, and certainly even coming from very different cultural experiences, as you know, is is a lot of what drives um, spoken word poetry. Um, And I'll use that for imitation practice and mimicking, so that they're, you know, trying to, get the emotions, the intonations, the word stress, the rhythms, all that stuff, and, and one of my most recent, most satisfying, I just loved watching, it was like so, it made me feel so good watching this video that um, a Korean grad student of mine made and the but the words and the voice that she was mimicking was an African-American male talking about the fear that his mom had when he went out and worried about him being killed by the police or something else. And to see this female Korean student using those rhythms and intonations and the vocabulary and whatever, like was so beautiful to me, you know, because, you know, even um, in our context, I've had African-American students talk openly to me in my intercultural class about the, the pressure or the emotional kind of labor that they feel in an academic environment to code switch from their own variation of English. Um, and so I, as language teachers, I think we have a responsibility to embrace and honor all the different varieties of English and not to privilege only a select few. Um, And, you know, and so, so again, like I said, to watch that video of my sweet Korean grad student, um, you know, doing that spoken word poetry was beautiful. Um, So that's certainly one of the ways that you can bring it in. Um, You know, and it, yeah, it takes some time. It takes some work and takes a lot of digging sometimes to find those examples that you want. Um, But sometimes I'll, I also put it, I mean, like using TED Talks, there's so many varieties of speakers in, in TED. And, you know, and so I'll often encourage my students to go in, you know, and find find the videos themselves. And like said, so just find somebody that you want to sound like. You know, and I don't limit them to like picking, you know, a certain kind of speaker or whatever. So, you know, find somebody that that you like the way they sound and that you would like to emulate. Um, you know, and again, using it for the practice of all those language features that are beyond just making the phonemes and whatever, because we know so much of the meaning is not coming from that. they can make every sound perfectly, but be almost impossible to understand if they can't get all those other language features. Super segmentals, yes. Yeah,
0: yeah, it's very important. Yeah, I love doing some, I do something similar with my students, have them pick someone that they wanna mimic. Yeah, that's a great activity. Um, well, you've already told us so much about intercultural communication, but is there anything you'd like to
1: add? Um, one thing I would add, particularly for teachers who are teaching groups who are, who are of a different identity or identities than them um, culturally and language-wise is about names. There's so much power in names. Um, and I encourage a policy <laughs> of encouraging students to use their given names, the names that they go by with their friends, with their family, um, because there's so much power in that. And I've seen it transform classes and students in my own life and my own career. Um, you know, I've seen other students react when my students when I call them by their actual name and not you know an English name um, you know and watch the other students like be shocked and surprised and they're like your teacher knows your name (laughs) you know Um, and that for me is a priority and it became a priority early in my career because I, I wasn't that great at it at the beginning and I had a hard time learning all my students' names. Um, and interestingly, I actually have a harder time remembering those who are using English names and not their real names because it's just a disconnect for me. <laughs> like, it doesn't, just doesn't go. Like, you don't look like a Henry, like <laughs> you know, or whatever it is. And um, so, um, you know, I spend a lot of time in the beginning of my classes learning names. and and encouraging everybody around them to learn the names too, not just me, not just me taking it on. But, you know, in most of our classes, like, you know, they endure for several weeks at least. And, you know, and especially with something like language and especially communication, like we need a comfort level. You know, um, it's scary to, to speak out when you think you're gonna make mistakes and those kind of things. So it contributes so much to the willingness to speak You can create that environment where everybody's feeling comfortable together. You know, everybody knows each other's name. Like that creates a different environment in the class than, you know, than if it's the teachers up here and it's you and you and, you know, whatever, purple glasses, like whatever it is, (laughs) instead of learning names. And so I give myself two weeks max and I usually have it by the first week. Um, And that has been true whether I've had, you know, 90 students or 20 students I'd keep the same rule so it's a I good rule to, to have to...
0: yeah I think it's a, it is important
1: that the students feel
0: comfortable with the 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 name they're being called in the classroom <laughs> yeah excellent well thank you so much for this Amy I think um I have uh, enjoyed learning your perspective on intercultural communication and I'm sure all the teachers listening will as well go
1: TTLT <laughs> <laughs>
0: Here are some of the top teaching tips that I learned from talking to Amy. First of all, she says that it's important to get your students out of their comfort zone, because of course, if they're in their comfort zone, they're not thinking about other cultures and how they can learn from people from other cultures. So she talked about having students go to clubs that are um, clubs that they wouldn't normally go to and focused on people that are different from their um, ethnicity or their um, culture. Um, She talked about pairing students with students from other cultures, even students from other countries and talked about some different ways that we can make those pairings happen so that students can learn from people outside of their country of origin, outside where they are and um, practice uh, English together. And she talked about how you can help your students compare values and think about what's important to them in their culture or in in themselves, and think about how that compares uh, in other cultures. And you can see that, of course, you're gonna see some differences, but you're also gonna see a lot of similarities. She also talked a lot um, about learning your students' names. Amy really feels that it's important that you learn your students' names and that she suggests that you learn them in the first two weeks of class. So um, it's something that I do as well. I try really hard to learn all of my students' names. And um, depending on the class size, I'm not sure that I'm able to get them all in two weeks, but I try and, um, but yes, I think it's a good goal to have is to make sure that we are learning all of our students' names and learning how to pronounce them and learning how to, address them the way they would like to be addressed. And also Amy talks a lot about hubbacle.org and where you can go and ask questions about intercultural communication and find out more about what's happening in intercultural communication. So it's a great hub for people who are interested in intercultural communication. So I hope that you'll go there, check it out. And now that we've learned so much from Amy about intercultural communication, I'm really excited that she's gonna do a workshop on intercultural communication tips on April 6th at 2 p.m. GMT, which is 8 a.m. Central or 8 a.m. Chicago time on, yeah, April 6th at um, 2 p.m. So we hope that you'll be there to learn more intercultural communication tips from Amy Chastain. And if you would like to get more involved with TTLT, please send us a message or voicemail at ttlt.org. Drop me an email at ttltinfo at gmail.com. Subscribe to our podcast and our YouTube channel. Rate and review our YouTube channel. Tell your friends. Let everyone know so that uh, more people can find out about TTLT. And of course, if you're not there already, join us on our Facebook group, TTELT. Follow us on Twitter at TTLT1 and on Instagram at T.T.E.L.T. And if you're enjoying TTLT and finding these episodes helpful, we would love for you to donate and help us to keep TLT going, um, if you can. If Thanks for tuning in. See you next time.